surprisingly, I this is not alcohol. This is just tea. <laughs> but I am. Uh, this arm is fucked up from oh, when I fell. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we're starting the new year <laughs> off with a bang. Literally, um, both of us are injured. Various. <laughs> I also I re-injured this leg. Um, it was really dumb too like I didn't think anything of it and then now I'm like oh my god I hit my leg on the car the like the metal edge of the car door and now I have like a bruise ah. on this leg right here can you see it mm. no there's like a mark it's, it's but... on the side that's oh. away from me so anyways yeah so this leg has the two my knee injuries from where I, I, I tripped over my dog. I want to show you this because it's werewolf season because I'm single, so I don't oh. shave. But like, oh, my knee's all yeah. fucked up. And then my arm because I went like airborne. And like, you know how like time slows down when you're falling? Oh, yeah, for sure. My brain is always just like, all right, don't try to brace yourself. Go as flat as you can <laughs> on the fat parts of your body. Aim for that grass. And so I, I went literally like outstretched. Like in a cartoon, yeah. like a slow-mo freeze frame and landed fully on my right side, uh, like on someone's grass, but it was dark out. Yeah. And so thankfully I was running with like my phone flashlight uh -huh. on so I could see, which fuck all good it did for me. I still tripped on the sidewalk, but it landed flashlight up. So I found it <laughs> right away in the grass. And then I yelled, shit, and I, I pushed my glasses back on my face and got up and kept running because I was on my way to a PR. And then I realized a quarter mile later that my watch had been stopped, oh. so I, like, didn't get it anyway. And I was more upset about that than anything else. But now my my tricep muscle is, like, it's very weak. Oh. And I can't, like, anytime I need to, like, like flex that muscle, uh -huh. it I, like, can't do it. <laughs> so I think huh. I might have like contused the muscle. I might have bruised the muscle. Oh, well, I've for like, sure deep, deep tissue bruising. <laughs> I bruised the shit out of my shins and yeah. my my knees. Uh, yours at least. There's not like a bruise on my arm, and I can touch it, and it's not like it's oh god, there's moving it bone it's, like, so or anything. Tender. It just like does not want to work like a muscle should work anymore. So, yeah, 2024, great start, great start. Uh, we are, by the time you hear this, we'll be in mid-January, so maybe things will be better. <laughs> Who knows? Jesus. Um, yeah, I, yours at least, like, yours was like, oh, this is a true accident. I didn't see this tripping. <laughs> like, mine was because my dog decided to bark in reaction to another two-pound dog. Uh, my dog is 80 pounds for you dear listeners. Um, he's a very big boy and he's very protective of me and the tater tot when we're walking. And yeah, this little two pound dog, which was on like a retractable leash. And I'm just like, I hate retractable leashes. I, I think like, they should be outlawed. Two pound dog. One of us could fix our situations a little bit easier than the other. You're letting your two-pound dog bark at my 80-pound dog who's barking back. I'm trying to walk away, and I tripped and fell over my dog trying to walk away. And, yeah, I fell super hard on my knees, scraped them up. I I banded, I had the only bandages I had at my house were Care Bear bandages. Man. <laughs> 
and I ran out of them and I'm just like at this point you know I'm not gonna win any like beauty awards or become a knee model anytime soon um but I'm just I'm just trying to like I just remember the last time I had this as like a kid where you fell and like scraped up your knees real good I didn't bruise them when I was a kid though I just scraped them up like I definitely picked at the skin because you know that's what little kids do so I'm like just keep the band-aids on there Beth don't mess with it you're growing skin it's a gross ugly process i i did this too before i fell which was from a plastic laundry basket that i reached into and i caught the rough edge of like the underside of the Uh handle just right and it sliced off my skin and so like it's been trying to heal for over a week but it's like right on the base of my thumb so it moves all the time And so I had a Band-Aid on it for as long as I could keep it. And, like, one of our patrons who comes on every day, who's a nice person but comes off very creepy um, and gives, like, very strong Lenny of Mice and Men vibes. Yep. Um, He he came in and looked at it and was like, what'd you do to your hand? I was like, oh, I caught it. I'll pray for your hand. And I was like, (laughs) God, please don't. That's going to make it worse. I'm trying to heal it. It's going to become an idol. <laughs> like, hit please us, don't. Hit us up, Devin Swallow. Come on. Oh my God. Um. <laughs> yeah, so we're having a hashtag good time over here. I'm just in like a foul mood every day. <laughs> it's a real chaos. Like we joked, like maybe we'll all be dead. No one will hear the first episode that went up today like, mm-hmm. while we're recording. And, like, this is where we're at. Chaos. Maybe this will be the year that we get Terminators and they'll finally just, like, kill us and it'll be over and I don't have to worry anymore. The sweet release of death. (laughs) You know, it is topical. (laughs) Very morose today and it fits. It's topical. So, uh, let's just say hello. Welcome back to the Lake Erie Library. I am Beth. I'm Britta. There's only two of us. If I'm not Beth, I'm Britta. And uh, today we are discussing one of my favorites, Edgar Allan Poe, who I would also call very morose, very foul. At least his was like, it made sense. Like it was like trauma induced and like opium. Mine is just like. And alcohol. Lots of alcohol. I feel like I am Stephen Rue at the end of office space where he burns everything down because someone took a stapler stapler. too many times like that's that's where i'm at uh i am i'm just trying man i got i got some stuff that's in my pocket that i'm like let me hold on to this and hope it's gonna be okay but oh thank you (laughs) literally from my pocket (laughs) uh for those of you who are like, what just happened? Uh, Britta handed me one of her po- or my pocket rocks. <laughs> her pocket rocks. It's a piece of uh, obsidian. Yeah. So yeah. I also like that Beth is such a mom that like you just hand anything to her and she automatically takes it like without question. I'm listen. I have to check my coat pockets and stuff every day because otherwise I'm I'm walking around with like Paw Patrol members in my car or in my pocket i'm just like what is this that i'm like oh okay my pockets are so heavy and they are like unnecessarily heavy i just feel like i have a workout like with my coat it's just weighted at this point yeah 
and my shoes. I have to check my shoes as well. So, yes, if you hand me something, I'll be like, okay, what is this? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> At least you didn't go, why is it wet? <laughs> oh, God. He never gave it back. It's still in his car. Well, you know what? Hopefully it brings him. Listen, Edward coworker hands, scissor hands, face person. I want my pocket rock back. It it might might turn the tide of what what's happening in the universe right now. I don't know. Um. So yeah, we're gonna talk about Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I just want to say first of all, I feel like starting out with Edgar Allan Poe, we're doing it because one, his birthday is in January. Fellow Capricorn, same day as Dolly Parton. So I just feel like. And it's, wow, two very different ends of the spectrum for the same birthday. Yes, yes. Though I will say for both of them, you know, Dolly always knew she wanted to be a singer and an entertainer, and she did that. And then Edgar always knew that he wanted to be a writer, and that's what he did, albeit not as uh, successfully. <laughs> just realized I had my nails. You got your clackety clacks. My dolly clack start, clacks. Start uh, start singing. Actually, I don't. I don't want Dolly to see us. I'm trying to figure out how to fit like. And she was a child, and I was a child <laughs> in my tower by the sea. <laughs> um, I also need to shout out. So yeah, two different spectrums of Capricorn. Uh, but for Edgar Allan Poe. I also enjoy him. I feel like we should talk about it first of all. I feel like he's like everybody's middle school introduction to horror. And in a way, I feel like if you don't move past him and if you're like one of those like Edgar Allan Poe girlies and you like the gothic stuff, like, I don't know. I feel like people don't take it as seriously as like, oh, you're only into Edgar Allan Poe. You should like edgier horror type of thing. But, you know, the man laid the groundwork you gotta you gotta give him credit where credit's due it's kind of like mary shelley and frankenstein you just gotta give credit where credit's due like i don't uh, yeah it's a basic sure it was written in the 1800s does that mean it's still not good no it means it's great just enjoy it quit quit hating on it i uh had a conversation with a pretty big bookstagram person maybe like a few years ago about a book that we had both read and everyone generally hated it and the two of us loved it and I was like you know what I consider it like a thinking person's horror and her response was yeah the problem is most people don't know how to or want to think and I was like yeah I think that is what happened with horror it went from like oh this is like existential it's in your brain it's cerebral you got to think about it it's psychological to like, and then a zombie jumps out and rips off your face because he's on bath salts. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Uh, too many jump scares in horror. You need to. We're just like needless gore. Yes. Yes. I think some gore is great. I There's a time and a place for it. I would say yes. I, I'm not into like hostile saw levels of gore though no but i know people love those franchises so like if that's your jam that's great but like sometimes i think it's just for shock value and doesn't really add anything that will that's 
you're just literally talking about all the rebranding of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre of like the early 2000s. Yeah. And uh oh god, the hill ha- the hills have eyes and mm. Last House on the Le- all those remakes all are very like gory. Um but anyways, yeah, we're going to talk about Edgar Allan Poe today, talk about his work, talk about influences, talk about his life a little bit cuz there's still question there's still a lot of questions we have about his life like even though he he's considered one of the first people to pen the like american detective story there's a reason why in horror the horror community like people get the edgar award for like detective fiction he's had a lasting am- impact i feel like if he could wherever he's at in his afterlife if he could like see kind of what his work has done and influenced, he'd be a little happy about it. You do know? you think he would, or do you think he's one of those people that just perpetually needs to be like depressed about something and he'd be mad and he'd be like, Oh, you like it for the wrong reasons. That's not what I meant. I, well, first of all, I think he would be mad. I think he'd be mad about how his death was treated, which is fair. Also, I'm sorry if you can hear those ice cubes. I just <laughs> didn't realize how close my water bottle was to the microphone. Um, but I think he would also, because he was like a starving artist his entire life, I think he'd be like, like literally starving. He was like, like unhoused for a while. He would be like, what? Why do people like my, like kind of like in that Doctor Who episode with Van Gogh. That's what I thought of. But yeah. I'm also just like, I don't know. I get a vibe from him. I get a vibe from Eddie that he, I don't know, I think he might be kind of a douche. I don't want him to be. I'm sorry. I, I can't help it. I, th- You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think it's just because in my head, like, when I picture him, I picture the, like, Tiny Toon Adventures caricature version of him with that <laughs> voice, which when did we all just universally decide that that's what he sounded like? Like, that weird, like, almost igor kind of, like... Kind of <laughs> voice. I don't know because uh, I just want to say Raven, never more. I just want to <laughs> say I need to shout out like my my favorite. So now, man, we are really aciding here. Before, oh, okay. I thought we were talking longer than we were about. No, that. we like, like jumped right into this yeah. today. Um, I, I got off, I got off like all my anger in like two seconds, and then we were like, all right. <laughs> Moving on. It's Capricorn season, baby. Uh, getting down to business. But um, I just want to shout out, actually, MC Lars. He is a nerdcore rapper. If you guys are like, who the heck is that? Just look him up. He's got a whole album of Edgar Allan Poe-inspired music, and I love it. Love it. And I actually went to one of his concerts, and... I answered a question correctly because he was asking a nerdy question. I was like, I know that answer. I'm a, I work at a library. And then I got, I got a whole CD of it. I was like, I am so excited. And then he said, I'm going to make even more music about him. I'm like, please do. So MC Lars, if you hear this, I love you. And when I say I love you, I mean that in like a complete fan way, not in like a creepy way. <laughs> That's good because I just went down a rabbit hole today of like people who got like murdered when they were really young and that were like celebrities. So like, don't kill MC Lars. No, no, would not do that. I enjoy his music far too much. I'm very excited for his uh, his 
new album with Schaefer the Dark Lord. It is a Haunted Mansion, spooky Disney-inspired album. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. Well, since you did that, then I'm going to mention Shipwrecked. Because I've talked about Shipwrecked and Tin Can Bros and Star Kid before. But Shipwrecked Comedy did a YouTube series that is 11 episodes maybe 12 episodes long that is Edgar Allan Poe's murder mystery dinner party. Oh um, yeah, you showed you've showed me clips of this. Yeah, so it is essentially a 2016 web series that is Edgar Allan Poe and his roommate Lenore who is a ghost <laughs> um played by uh Sean and Sinead Persaud who are like siblings. They invite guests over for a dinner party, and during the party, things go awry, and guests begin to get murdered. So it's supposed to be like a murder mystery party, and then people end up actually dying. And it's up to the remaining guests to figure out who the murderer is before everyone dies. And the other guests are all, like, famous authors. So it's, like, Ernest Hemingway, Louisa May Alcott, Mary Shelley, Charlotte Bronte, H.G. Wells, Emily Dickinson, George Eliot, who is it's a it's an actress dressed as a man playing a woman pretending to be a man, and she'll be like, "Yeah, like look at the rack on those fine ladies, don't you think?" And they're like, "Okay, we get it. You know, you're a woman. We know it." No, what are you talking about? I'm a, a manly physical specimen. <laughs> um. And then also Fyodor Dostoevsky is there, and he's just got, like, a Russian bear cap. And Jerry from Parks and Rec is, like, a constable who gets called to the house at one point. And Annabelle Lee is, like, Edgar Allan Poe's crush, which is, like, the whole reason he's throwing a party is to invite her over. And she brings a date, and he's like, what? (laughs) So, yeah, it's really funny. It's got murder mystery vibes. It's, It's, like, comedy, but it's dark comedy. You got some like spooky stuff in there. It sounds perfect for this time of year. I also can't stop thinking about the fact that the can't stop thinking about you. Uh, the year I decided to have an Edgar Allan Poe library program, and that was it was the day of my birthday party, and I had invited everybody to come, and it just it was snowing, and. It was it was my birthday that got snowed out where you're like, I tried to leave my driveway and I couldn't. And I remember I was like, this. Yes, that's fair. It was. I just remember having that program and it was like on a Saturday in the afternoon and the people that showed up were there was more people that showed up than I expected. And I do remember walking out like looking uh looking at the lake because we get to see Lake Erie and I remember looking at the lake and I see Lake Erie from my desk and it just the waves like crashing and then like the snow just pounding and I'm just like I don't think my birthday's gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) I'm like we'll we'll try but I don't I don't think this is happening. That one I didn't even get here. There have been like two other birthdays though that I came here and then when I tried to leave was driving home through like a foot and a half of snow. Yeah. Yeah. Our uh, buddy, the elf coworker, we were looking at the weather uh, and I was like, oh, the 10 day forecast says snow on my birthday. And then she's like, oh, Beth. It always snows on your birthday, though. I'm like, I 
I am aware. You know what? Like, I've just that, accepted that. That intonation was not only perfect, but also the thing that also makes me feel like she is like the the character in like a little women style story that then like all the other sisters just bitch slap. Like, stop it. <laughs> I know. Thanks. All right. They took all my limes. I got my hands whipped at school. I don't need to hear it from you. Okay. Just figure out the problem and move on. Oh, Beth, it always snows on your birthday. Yeah. And my fist always connects when I slap. (laughs) God. (laughs) I just, I was like, at this point, I've just accepted it. And when people ask, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, what what does Edgar Allan Poe do on his birthday? I don't know. He did, Beth. He He don't do nothing. (laughs) What did he do? We don't know. Opium. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that's debatable. Are we gonna smoke opium for your birthday then? <laughs> oh my god! No, I don't want to take like codeine. I don't want to do like pills. But like, if you get a hookah with opium, I'll come over. <laughs> we'll put a bunch of scarves on the floor and like lay around like we're full of malaise from that time period. <laughs> I just now I'm just thinking of uh, the one time I was at. Uh, an opium done? I, yeah, I, good times. I, well, I was at a restaurant in New York, and uh, this um, waiter kept propositioning. the. It was a group of us that were interns, and he kept going, would you like to hookah? You can come hookah with me. And we're like, um, no. <laughs> I like that hookah is like um, a noun and a verb. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a huge, a huga. Yeah. Anyways, back to Edgar Allan Poe. Let's talk about uh, oh, one more shout out I would like to give is to on Twitter or X, but they're also they have a podcast now and it's called Midnight Pals. And they have Edgar Allan Poe is actually it's a group of authors. So it's like Edgar Allan Poe, Dean Koontz, Clive Barker, Stephen King. And it's started as like Twitter microfiction where they all say like things and it's supposed to be the idea is they're supposed to be coming together and uh, casting a spooky tale. And Dean Koontz is not too spooky. I like dogs. And then Clive Barker's like sex. F yeah. And then Mary Shelley pops in every so often goes sup fuckers. (laughs) Not a girl. And then JK Rowling makes an appearance sometimes, Uh! but, but (laughs) do they push her in the fire? (laughs) the, when it's written, she talks like this with us. <laughs> and it's very, and but Edgar Allan Poe is in this, and he is kind of the ringleader, more or less. Steve's like, What's up, fellow uh, author? Submitted for your approval. I'm yeah. Stephen King. Yes. So if you guys like this idea of like authors coming together, much like uh, the murder mystery party. You can listen to their podcast. They just started it this past year. And if you go on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it now, uh, it is still on there, uh, still making rounds. So, And then if you go to like their website, you can order the chapbook and stuff like that of the microfiction. So if that's something that you're into, there we just gave you all like kind of pop culture references right now i keep right thinking now. that you're gonna say microfiche every time you say microfiction and i'm like how are they even gonna look at that you can tell we've been <laughs> at work too much <laughs> 
We don't even have microfiche. We do not have microfiche. I can I just tell we you. We can't even like, find a proper way to store our old newspaper no. clippings. They're just in a freaking Rubbermaid tote on a floor. I I've always wanted, and I finally did do that. Like I, me and my husband actually went on like one of our vaca- like staycations. We went to like a different library because I was like, I don't want to go to like our library system. I'll go to a different library, and we sat down and. <laughs> We looked at microfiche because I was like, I just want to be like in the movies when you're looking and you see a cool article and you're like, wait, what happened? Can I solve a murder mystery from 30 years ago? I I did not, but we did see a lot of cool ads. <laughs> I did that when uh, in our, our childhood library, not the the newer of them, the old one. Mm-hmm. I think I had to look something up for like a report in school and it was in like a tiny nook behind like the reference desk yep yep it was really hot in there yes yeah so that was i i did finally get to like check that off my like bucket list of like things i've gotten to experience but i was just like i wish that's all the cool all the cool movies have like at least one research referencey thing where they do the microfiche and then they go Oh my god! And they figure out the mystery, and then they rush to save the day. So, anyways, let's get back to the macabre. Let's talk about Edgar Allan Poe. Fifth times a charm. Fifth times the charm. So, uh, Edgar Allan Poe was born again in January. He was born uh, again. Born again. He found <laughs> our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was born on January nineteenth, eighteen o nine, and um, he was actually just born Edgar Poe. <laughs> he didn't get the Allen until later because he was born to David and Eliza Poe or Elizabeth Poe, but his father abandoned the family in 1810 and then his mother died a year later. So then John and Francis Allen of Richmond, Virginia adopted him. So didn't they never like officially? Oh, they never adopt officially him? adopted him, but they gave they, like, him the Allen. They fostered him. Yes. Yeah, but just for you, dear listeners, want you to keep track. So already, not even like a year into his life, two years into his life, because his dad left a year into his life, two years into his life, and he's lost both parents because you know it's the eighteen hundreds, and I believe she died of to tuberculosis diphtheria (laughs) this is all tb today is all about tb yeah everything's tb the allen family took him in and they they raised him so like you know uh francis was kind of his mother figure john was his father figure he actually he went to school on their dime he went to um Oh, yeah, she did die of pulmonary tuberculosis. I was right. I, I knew she died of tuberculosis. It was a running, running theme in Edgar Allan Poe's life. So they had him baptized. They had him, they called him alternately spoiled and aggressively disciplined. Sounds right for a Capricorn. So he he went to a lot of, like, good schools and stuff like that. He went to a grammar school in uh, Irishire, Scotland. He then went to a boarding school in Chelsea, he also went to Reverend John Bransbury's Manor House School of Stoke Newington. And then he later went to the University of Virginia, which at that time was 
pretty new for a <laughs> university. Yeah. To study ancient and modern languages. At that point, the university had rules against gambling, horses, guns, tobacco, and alcohol. <laughs> Uh, but they were mostly ignored. It was based on an honor code, so it was very like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like we, no, we're not drinking and partying with horses and guns. That's not something we're doing. Yeah, I was very don't ask, don't tell. So they, so Edgar Allan Poe turned around, and he at this time, right before the university, he was like kind of seeing a girl whose name was Sarah, and then once he got to the university, he's, you know, kind of sowing his wild oats. He picks up gambling. So he and his then kind of girlfriend break up. He loses touch with her. He then goes to his dad, or he goes to John, and he's like, hey, I don't have enough money for classes. And his dad's like, mm, that, no, wait, no. I paid for your classes. Where'd that money go? And then he figured out that Edgar was, like, gambling. So Edgar had to essentially, like, he disenrolled, got out of school because he was partying too much. And by partying, I mean gambling. I want to know what they gambled on in the 1800s besides horses. I, I don't know. Dice? Cards? Uh, oh, those are all things I should have thought about. But yes, you're right. Which raindrop hits the bottom of the window the fastest? <laughs> Um, fights you could bet on barefisted boxing oh god you know i did watch bridgerton i should know that <laughs> see you go bridgerton i go uh robert downey jr sherlock holmes oh same era different two different stories so anyways eventually he does get sent additional money but eggers gambling increased he does get kind of kicked out of university after the year but he doesn't go home to Richmond because he doesn't feel welcome because he finds out that his sweetheart married another man. So he then goes to Boston in 1827 and starts doing kind of odd jobs. And he is a clerk and a newspaper writer using the pseudonym Henry uh, Le René. Does that sound right? It's French. Yeah, René. Uh, so then... <laughs> He's unable to support himself, so what does he do like any good American boy? He joins the army. Oh, I was going to say sells drugs. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's the 1800s. <laughs> Opium. <sighs> so Robs corpses. Sells their parts. Fair, but steals jewelry from dead old ladies. I don't yeah. know. He actually enlists in the army under Edgar A. Perry, and he claimed he was 22 years old, even though he was a fresh 18. He was a very young man. This is some strong Steve Rogers vibes. Yes. So he served at Fort Independence in Boston Harbor for $5 a month. Boston Harbor. Boston Harbor. Uh, and then that year, he did release his first book, a 40-page collection of poetry called Tamerlane and Other Poems, but it didn't make any money or anything like that. I was like going to say, I, that feels so, like, I mean, you don't even know. Like, this isn't my whole life. Once I get out of the army, I'm going to be a famous author. I've already written this whole book of poetry, and the poems are like, Red, dead, I looked at the sky and said, I'm sad. 
EAP. He didn't even put his name on it. It was just attributed to by a Bostonian. And only 50 copies were printed and nobody paid it any attention. (laughs) You know, you got to start somewhere, right? Like Stephen King started as an English teacher. Tom Clancy started as like a vacuum or insurance salesman. I can't remember. He was a salesman of some sort. Then uh, he did actually get through the army. He served for two years and attained the rank of sergeant major, which is the highest rank of a non-commissioned officer that he could achieve. But then he was like, yeah, I don't want to be in the army anymore. Surprise, surprise. So everything you are saying is just, it is just fitting the fuckboy mold that I have in my head for him. (laughs) Of like, yeah, you know what? I could actually just like make a career out of this. But no, it's not what I want. You're not my real dad. You can't tell me what to do. I'm an author. Um, So he, he goes and says, hey. Edgar is Edgar Perry is not my real name. It's actually Edgar Allan Poe. I'm only 18. I'm not actually, you know, 22. And my dad kind of disowned me. So I was just doing this to kind of make a living. And his commanding officer said, hey, you can only be discharged discharged if you reconcile with your like foster dad. So he wrote this is great. You're going to love this. It's very petty. So he wrote a letter to his foster dad who was like, I literally don't give a shit. And he was unsympathetic and went several months ignoring Poe's pleas. So he has to stay in the army until well, yeah, this is happening. That, that letter was probably just like, dear, not my real dad. I don't want to be in the army anymore, but I had to join because you won't give me money to write a book that I'm going to write that's only in my brain right now. (laughs) And I could have also married that girl, except I fucked around and found out, but it's her fault. Fuck you. Hate Edgar. And then he's like, why doesn't my dad want me to come home? (laughs) Alan, it's also like been suggested. So his mother was ill uh, she too had tuberculosis, and it's suggested and surmised that Alan, his dad, John Allen, uh, may not have written to Poe even to make him aware of his mother's illness, which is kind of shitty. Like, that is his foster mom. She actually died on February 28, 19, 1829, and Poe visited the day after her burial. So he didn't even know. He just was like, I'm going to go to the house and then was like, hey, by the way, your foster mom, so the only like maternal figure you've had in your life, she died of the same thing your mother died of. Sucks to suck, Edgar. It is sad. A lot of macabre things happen in his life. So it's surmised also that after his wife died, Alan then agreed. He was, you know, feeling a little tenderhearted. He agreed to support Poe's attempts to be discharged to in order to receive an appointment letter at West Point. So now instead of being like an actual army person, he gets sent to West Point to kind of be discharged. So he like was at West Point for a little bit, but then he was finally discharged on April 15th, 1829 after securing a replacement to finish his enlisted term for him, which that's wild to me that he had to find another dude to replace him in the army. I'm like, what? I mean, I guess conscription's a thing. I do know that, but I'm just like, that's crazy. He did stay uh, in Baltimore before he went to West Point 
Uh, and he hung out with his widowed aunt Maria Clem and her daughter Virginia Eliza Clem. Virginia Eliza Clem is Edgar Allan Poe's first cousin, and that's also one of his wife's. Um, he also stayed with his brother Henry and his inval inval invalid 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 grandmother Edgar. She's Kearns. invalid. The barcode <laughs> doesn't scan. In September that year, he received the very first words of encouragement I have ever remembered to heard in a review of his poetry by influential critic John Neal. So John Neal is like the first person that was like, hey, these aren't too shabby. I like your I like your style. And so Edgar Allan Poe was like, all right. And so he wrote another poem to dedicate to Neal. Um, and then he wrote a second book of poetry. Dear Neal. I appeal to you to read more of my poems. They won't make you moan because they're good. <laughs> Give me money. EAP. Honey. So the second book was uh, Al Arafaf. Araf? A lot of A's. In this. A lot of A's in that. Al Araf? All or off. Okay. Sounds uh, like all or off, maybe. Tamerlane and Minor Poems, uh, published in Baltimore, 1829. For those of you who are like English major, please don't come after us. I'm not an English major. I do like Edgar Allan Poe. I, here's the thing. Like, I enjoy, I'm like bashing him. I'm like bullying him from beyond the grave. But um, also, like, how fucking pretentious I'm going to write it in, like, another language. You just don't get it. You're not smart enough to understand why I titled it that. Um, so he went to West Point and mat matriculated as a cadet, and then he got married in October of 1830 to his second wife, Louisa Patterson. I completely missed over his first wife, but this is his second wife. He got married once, and then it didn't work well out. Did he, marry, the, he didn't marry Virginia yet. No. She's later. She's the third she's, wife. She's like 14. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's like a child right now. Yeah. She's like 14 when they get married. Yeah. Okay. So the marriage and bitter quarrels with Poe over children uh, born to Alan out of extramarital affairs led to the foster father finally disowning Poe. This is like... uh, So he... Wait. So Eddie was like boning people and having kids? I don't think so. I think I think he was trying to get money from dad. Dad was boning other people. Oh, so he didn't have money because he and, had a bunch of illegitimate children. And this was causing stress on his marriage, probably because, you know, Louisa wasn't working. She's like, I literally have fucking tuberculosis. <laughs> Please stop breeding more children. We cannot handle um, this. And so... Poe was disowned. Um, He's like, you're not even my real kid. Get out. Yeah. So then Poe at this point was like, I don't want to be at West Point anymore. So he, he purposely hey, I have himself this stable place to stay with a roof over my head and three meals a day and I could go to classes. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm out. Yeah. So he purposely gets himself court-martialed. Um, and he was tried for gross neglect of duty and disobedience of orders for refusing to attend formations, classes, or church. He tactically pleaded not guilty to induce dismissal, knowing that he would be found guilty. Not So he's like John Bendering, like everybody's in mass, like 
singing like <laughs> and he's outside like pump 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 up the jams I want to rock right now and like smoking like cigarettes with an earring and like fist pumping and they're like what's going on oh it's Edgar again wait a minute who was supposed to be watching this door we got robbed and now a family of raccoons lives in the commissary Edgar and he's like eating chips with like a bear in the woods so then he left for New York in February of 1831 and released the third volume of poems simply titled Poems. This is his edgy stage. Yeah. The book was financed from help from his fellow cadets at West Point, many who donated 75 cents to the cause, raising a total of $170, yeah, which is a lot of money. All like, dude, yeah. you are fucking up everyone's life. Get out of here. No one wants you here anymore. Uh, they may have been expecting verses similar to the satirical ones Poe had written about the commanding officer. So they're like, oh, there you're going to write dirty limericks was about a guy the- from Kentucky. <laughs> um, His so, mouth was extra sucky. To the, It was dedicated to the U.S. Corps of Cadets. This volume is respectfully dedicated. But the book once again reprinted the long poems Tamerlane and uh, Al... Uh, Al Araf. Al But also six previously unpublished poems, including early versions of To Helen uh, and The City by the Sea. So then Poe returned back to Baltimore in March of 1831, and his brother Henry was in ill health, in part due to alcohol uh, issues, and he died on August 1st. So Edgar's just, they're just picking off family members of his one Dad, by one mom fake mom brother so then uh he was after his brother's death he was more like inspired maybe just kind of like a call to action like all right i really need to get my writing like off the the floor but unfortunately he he you know was trying to publish in the early 1800s like the the publishing industry wasn't a thing at that point there was not um good american copyright laws so america literally would just steal and publish british authors works and they they were just making bank on this because they didn't have to give any money to the who's british gonna author. know how are they gonna know yeah. That's true. The internet wasn't a thing. How are then. they gonna know? Are they gonna get on a boat and come over here and read every piece of paper? They're not gonna know. So he's trying to get published, and they're like, "No, we don't need to pay these American authors. We're just gonna steal from these British authors." Um, so he's he's struggling, and he's considered one of the first like American authors to live by writing alone, but he struggled his entire life. The publishing industry was also hurt by the panic of 1837 the the panic was they they were i think switching currency or something at that point and so a bunch of people like overbought stocks and stuff this is kind of like how the great depression started where they're like wait no this is backed by this and then a real estate bubble and erratic american banking policy oh hmm hmm we've never seen one of those in our lifetime Ever. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so. I will never forget that when I graduated from Temple University, 
Bill Cosby's pre-recorded speech because he couldn't even be bothered to come and talk to us live or zoom in was essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, well, there's no jobs. Good luck. Don't die. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, uh, he, he was like, okay, so obviously poetry is not getting published. So let me try prose. So then he placed a few stories in publication, uh, one of them being he won a prize for one of his short stories, M.S. Found in a Bottle. Um, This brought him to the attention of John P. Kennedy, a Baltimorean of considerable means who helped Poe place some of his stories and introduced him to Thomas W. White, editor of the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond. So then he became an editor for the Southern Literary Messenger, but he got discharged within a few weeks for being drunk on the job. So then Edgar, being jobless, decides, and I'm guessing at this point single, it doesn't say when he got divorced, but he no longer is with Louisa. Uh, Poe returned to Baltimore and he obtained a license to marry his cousin Virginia, first cousins. Um, Well... I got no money. I got no job. My pet's heads are falling off. I'm gonna go marry my cousin. Come here, kid. Um, they married on September twenty second, eighteen thirty five. Well, he obtained a license. It says he. They don't know if they were actually married at that time. He was twenty six and she was thirteen. He was reinstated for his liter his editor job after promising good behavior, and he returned to Richmond with Virginia and her mother. And then he remained there until 1837. We're getting very close to him, like, dying. I hate saying that, but it's true. So he claims that during the period he was editor that the circulation went from 700 to 3,500. And then he also published several poems, book reviews, critiques, and stories in the paper. Uh, On May 16th, 1836, him and Virginia did actually get married um, with a witness falsely attesting that Virginia Clem's age is 21. Now, I will also say some scholars say that they didn't have like, it's a little icky, but some scholars say that he just really cared for her and he loved her kind of like a sibling. So I guess he wanted to take care of her. So there wasn't really like a a romance element to it. I don't but know. But then why though. did he have to marry her? Why didn't he just take care of her? I call I bullshit. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's the icky part. But he also wrote some of his greatest poetry inspired by her. So I can't like, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, he's a fuck boy, so he's about like maturity level where a fourteen year old is. So I feel like they're compatible. Also, like back then, fourteen year olds were like, "I've Adults. been working for five years yeah. and I've got three kids." Like, so you know, I I have less of a problem with that than like other things. Also, like she's not gonna make it very long. <laughs> no, she does not make it very long. So, um, finally, he goes to Philadelphia. Um where he lived like several different places in the city between 1838 and 1844. I used to live right down the street from it. One is which uh, a national historic landmark now. That same year, he writes the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, and that's widely published, widely reviewed, so he's finally gaining some traction as a writer. And then he becomes an assistant editor for a gentleman's magazine. At that point, 
he's you know publishing articles and stories and reviews and he's getting kind of a, a reputation as a critic and then he also in 1839 publishes the tales of the grotesque and arabesque uh which was published in two volumes though he didn't make a lot of money on it and received mixed reviews so then he has in 18 june of 1840 he has uh, a prospectus and announcing his intentions to start his own journal called The Stylus. Though he's originally going to call it The Pen, since it would have been in Philadelphia. He brought he bought advertising space for it and was telling the Philadelphia Saturday Evening Post, prospectus of The Pen magazine, a monthly literary journal to be edited and published in the city of Philadelphia by Edgar A. Poe. Uh, but the journal was never produced before Poe's death. I lived five blocks away from his house in philly it's on seventh and spring garden and like you can go do walking tours of it it's like it's fine it's like an old house and like the basement is like pretty old and deteriorated so you're not really like supposed to go down there but they do like candlelit tours around like halloween and, like, you can go in and, like, there's the sitting room, which is, like, it's very vibrantly red colored. It's, like, I don't know how anyone would comfortably live in a room that color. But you can go in there and, like, listen That's... to an audio recording of, like, some of his stories while you're standing in there. Red is supposed to be, like, it induces hunger. So that's why a lot of restaurants will have red in their interior because that color. You know, green but, makes you hungry too. But it's also it's not a color that induces calm or yeah, creativity. it's not, and it's all like uh, like you know, because the furniture that it's all like looks almost like crushed velvet and like big thick drapes <laughs> and things like that, and like the walls are also like wallpapered red. It's weird. That's the only, he lived in like four different houses when he lived in Philly. That's the only one that still exists. Amongst trying to start that magazine, he also wrote um, The Telltale Heart and The Black Cat while he lived there. And the cellar in the house that's still standing is like, it's very obviously like the same cellar that he like wrote about in The Black Cat. Like he sat in his basement and was like, "Uh uh-huh, yes, here we go. (laughs) Um... Oh, boy. Yeah. So he also published Fall of the House of Usher and Murders in the Rue Morgue while living in Philly, too. That's my contribution to this, is that I lived on the same street. So he left being an editor and uh, for Burton's The Gentleman magazine and then became a co-editor at Graham's magazine in 1841. So... After that, he also attempted to secure a position in the administration of John Tyler, claiming he was a member of the Whig Party. (laughs) But then he hoped to be appointed in Philadelphia so he could just be there and that would be a very stable income job. And he got help. He had like an in with uh, the president's son, Robert, who was an acquaintance of Poe's friend Frederick Thomas. But he failed to show up with the meeting with Thomas to discuss the appointment in mid-September 1842, claiming to be sick, though Thomas believed he had been drunk. Prom- uh, Poe was promised an appointment, but all the positions were filled. <laughs> like, oh, like, Edgar, 
yeah. he, he does get a bit of a perpetual like al- screw up yeah vibe. alcoholism is like no joke like that's out of your control which is more than likely the actual explanation for the majority of the stuff that has happened in his life but to fit my fuckboy narrative um yeah that feels like very like he probably was just like, oh, no, I woke up in this, like, r- brothel opium den with, like, 18 girls. And hold on, I can pay you. I just got to go to the ATM. Uh, <laughs> shit, how am I going to get downtown? I don't have my car keys. Oh, hey, I'm sick. <coughs> can I still have the job? That was four weeks ago, Edgar. Where have you been? <laughs> oh, I got lost in Barbados, and I had to get someone to send me money to get on a boat to come back it's not my fault but then in january 1842 virginia showed the first signs of consumption or tuberculosis i Uh, was when we were researching i found this like website that has like an interactive timeline of his life and it gets to this point and it's so fucking over (laughs) dramatic it gets to this point and it's like while playing the piano virginia coughs up blood (laughs) Uh yeah, they do they he describes it as breaking a blood vessel in her throat while singing and playing the piano. So I'm I'm kind of picturing like her like do 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 and then like on the keys. So there's just like blood like because you know, we know we know now because of COVID Mm -hmm. that when you sing, your little aerosol particles are getting all over the joint. So I have to imagine that's what it's like. I just think of every dramatic like Moulin Rouge, Camille, like (laughs) and then you look at their palm and there's like a little gobule of blood and everyone's like, Oh no. And they're like, No, no, I'm fine. It's half a cough drop from earlier. It's not blood. I'm not dying. God, what if Virginia was like, don't make me sing. And he was like, God damn it. I just want to hear that song. Just play it. I am so hungover right now, Virginia. Just do this one thing. Why does my life suck so bad? And she's like, no, don't make me sing. And he's like, just sing the fucking song, Virginia. And then she goes to sing and she's like, oh, no. (laughs) He's like, great. Now you're going to die, too. And I'm going to be all alone. Well, I mean, I think I'm going to go write a story about a really annoying bird. (laughs) Well, yes, that's true. Um, so, <laughs> oh God, I lost my place. Um, <laughs> I can keep going. <laughs> um, so he, she only partially recovered from from this, but of course, he began to drink more heavily because he was stressed out about her being sick with tuberculosis. Uh, he left. Grams as an editor and attempted to find a new position, still angling for the government post. He didn't get it. He then returned to New York, looking to become an editor of the Broadway Journal and then later the owner of the Broadway Journal. Yeah, I totally oh. know Broadway. Give my but regards. Yaka daka daka. He, he alienated himself from other writers at the time, including Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and <laughs> yeah. accused him of plagiarism. He hates him. <laughs> Even though Long- Longfellow never responded, so I th- at the time, Edgar kind of had a reputation, and he was also writing spooky stuff, and you know Longfellow's writing about nature and stuff, so he's like, I don't... Who are like, you? I just like trees, man. Why are you so drunk right now? It's <laughs> 7 a.m. 
What, what do you mean trees are beautiful? We're inside. <laughs> My wife's dying. So, uh, 1845, uh, Poe wrote The Raven appearing in the evening mirror and it became a sensation. It made Poe a household name. He finally achieved some, like, credentials and actually became famous but everyone who read it who knew him was like yeah this fucking annoying bird that's what it's like talking to him all the time but he only made nine dollars off of it yeah but back then that was what probably like 400 bucks not enough to sustain anybody it was one night of drinking (laughs) half an evening of opium so then the Broadway Journal failed in 1846, and then Poe moved to kind of his final uh, place of living, which was a cottage in Fordham, New York, in the Bronx. That home, no- known as Edgar Allan Poe Cottage, uh, was relocated later years to a park near the southeast corner of the Grand Concourse in Kingsbridge Road. Virginia died at the cottage on January 30th, 1847. So... He did write The Raven two years prior to her death. Um, biographers and critics had suggested that Poe's frequent theme of death of a beautiful woman stems from the repeated loss of women in his life, including his wife, which is fair. He did not take Virginia's death well. He consequently did write Annabelle Lee and Lenore, which are um, alluded to being about Virginia. But he became very unstable and increasingly unstable. He became unstable? Yes. Because he's been like the peak representative (laughs) of mental health up to this point. Uh, He attempted to court poet Sarah Helen Whitman, who lived in Rhode Island. Their engagement failed because of his drinking and erratic behavior. I can only imagine. Like, it's probably showing up with like his shirt unbuttoned like the right way and like half a sweater on and his weird comb over is like all messed up and he's just like hey sarah i'm here let's go have a picnic in a graveyard uh it's also evidence that whitman's mother intervened and did not like him so she derailed the relationship um he then returned to Richmond to resume a relationship with his childhood sweetheart, Sarah uh, Royster, who had gotten married. So I I'm, I'm, don't know if she, at that point, he was, she was single again, but he's like, hey, what's happening? Maybe she was widowed and he was like, Sarah, Sarah, same name, don't have to remember new one. Got it. Let's go. In my head now, he's become John C. Riley. Like... <laughs> With, with the like weird professor like Ugh! character that he does do you know what i'm talking yes. about yeah it's yeah. Tim and Eric. yeah that's that's oh. in my head now that's what edgar Allan poe has become uh so then we are getting finally to the point where uh he so he is in maryland at the time of his death so he did his last place of living was the the Bronx, but he was in Maryland. So this is October 3rd, 1849. Um, Poe was found semi-conscious in Baltimore in great distress and in need of immediate assistance of, according to Joseph W. Walker, who found him. He was taken to Washington Medical College where he died on Sunday, October 7th, 1849 at five in the morning. He wasn't coherent long enough to explain how he came to be in his dire condition, he was wearing clothes that weren't his own. Um, he was repeatedly had 
called out the name Reynolds on the night before his death, though it was unclear to who he was referring to. His attending physician said that Poe's final words were, Lord, help my poor soul, which I feel like really encapsulates everything he's about. Oh, great. Now I'm going to die. Of course. What, why wouldn't that happen to me? Um, but all relevant medical records have been lost, including his death certificate. So they're not even sure. Like, he did have some injuries. Um, he was obviously not fully conscious. Mm-hmm. So they never got a full story out of him. Like, he was found kind of, like, on a side street, like, all busted up yeah. and not coherent. And I, uh... I had always read that he was trying to, like, his plan was to get on a train to get back to Philadelphia, and he, like, took the wrong train and was drunk AF, and then, like, was now drunk and lost, and, like, in his feels, so, like, who knows what happened to him. They There's several theories. So the newspapers at the time reported, which... I gotta get take these with a grain of salt because of what happened to him after he after he passed away um with his legacy, but they at the time reported Poe's death as congestion congestion of the brain or cerebral inflammation, which were euphemisms for death from disreputable causes such as alcoholism. Mm. Um which that might be true. Might Patrax. be true. Um but I also have to take them with a grain of salt because his reputation for what it was, was sullied a lot after he died. The actual cause of death still remains a mystery. Speculation has included delirium uh, tremens, heart disease, epilepsy, syphilis, um, and genial inflammation. syphilis, where you go bonkers from it. uh, Cholera, carbon monoxide poisoning, and rabies. (laughs) (laughs) He got that from the raccoons at West Point. (laughs) Uh, One theory dating from 1872 uh, suggests that Poe's death resulted from cooping a form of electoral fraud in which citizens were forced to vote for particular candidates, sometimes leading to violence and murder. Which, I was like, what a wacky 1800s way to go. But also, that may have happened. Baltimore is a big city. Uh, Somebody was like, was, hey man, do you want to make five bucks? And he was like, yeah, what do I have to do? They're like, just go vote for this guy. And then he started doing it. Somebody was like, hey, I saw that. You're a phony. And they like kicked his ass. Yeah. like, But he also, it, it's October. That would have been around election season. So yeah, maybe he went to early vote and they like messed him up. Honestly, it would be so on brand for him if it was just all of these things. Like, he got bit by a raccoon that he got in a fight with because it stole his sandwich or something. And then he got drunk because he was mad that the raccoon stole his sandwich. And then, like, he fell down and he hit his head. So he had, like, swelling in his brain. But then he also had the rabies, which is now getting advanced. And then he also had syphilis, but he didn't know he had syphilis. So it was untreated. So he's also, like, losing it because of that. Have we ever talked about, like, the inflammation of the brain, like, encephalitis scares the bejesus out of me. Like, in terms of ways that people can like it just scares me i'm like wait you lose all cognitive function you don't know that you're like doing weird things because like you don't know yeah they did that uh they use that as an angle in the show hannibal and i think about it now because i'm like thanks uh Brian uh, Fuller, I never thought about encephalitis at all because i was like that's not like a thing i have to worry about and now i'm like 
Oh. I just always think of, is it like hydroencephalitis where like you, like the babies who are born with like yes, the misshapen heads the, right. or like, like there's um one of the cats on the cat rescue that I follow oh. was born with that. And so they have like a, a really big head. Yes. Someone I'm related to had that. So, yeah. and they got multiple stents and surgeries done for that. Yeah. You, you can like live a Yeah. It's regular, just relieving the pressure is yeah. the, the key thing. But yeah, I, I it's who's to say, but I will say after Pope passed away, he had a literary rival, which surprise, surprise, and his name was Rufus Wilmot Griswold, which is a great uh name. Um he somehow got the rights to write the obituary for Edgar Allan Poe, and he wrote it under a pseudonym, and he just literally wrote it with the most off the say, rails. Was it like Edgar Allan Poe is the fugliest slut you've ever met. <laughs> um, yeah, they cast him as a lunatic and described him as a person who walked the streets in madness and melancholy with lips moving in indistinct curses or with eyes upturned in passionate prayers, never for himself, for he felt or professed to feel that he was already damned. So this fucking guy was such a downer <laughs> all the time. Everybody dies who talks to him. He was outside yelling at 3 a.m. fighting a raccoon. He's dead. The end. Uh, yeah, the obituary began. Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, so it was signed as Ludwig, and it was soon identified as Griswold, who had borne a grudge against Poe since 1842. And he was the literary executor, so he attempted to destroy his enemy's reputation after his death. He then wrote a biographical article of Poe called Memoir of the Author, which he included in an 1815 volume of the collected works. And he depicted Poe as a depraved, drunken, drug-addled madman and included Poe's letters as evidence. So many of these claims were lies. It is, it is really disputed that Poe was a drug addict, so they think that is mostly just Griswold talking out of his butt. Griswold's book was denounced by those who knew Poe well, including John Neal, who published an article defending Poe and attacking Griswold. Um, and Griswold's book nevertheless became the popularly, popularly accepted biographical source. And this was in part because it was the only full biography available, which, you know, we do understand in the age of social media, it's all about, like, who puts it out first, who puts it out more fully. Right. Like, so it easy. It doesn't matter what the truth is if everybody has already read the lie and believes it. Right, right. I, I'm just thinking right now about, like, like Britney Spears and, like, all the, the things that have come out about her life and memoir and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, so people were also thrilled about reading works by an evil man. Like, it was kind of like a sexy biography where they're like, oh my God, this, the telltale heart, he actually murdered a man over an eyeball. Oh my God. Uh, you know. I get it. I mean, I watched Saltburn because everyone was like, this is the most fucked up movie I've ever seen in my life. It's so weird. You're going to go insane after you watch it. And I watched it and I was like, I've seen worse. What is wrong with you people? You're a bunch of squares. Letters were later revealed that 
uh, Griswold, the evidence that he had of Edgar's letters were actually forgeries. So, unfortunately, Edgar Allan Poe had to kind of, like, it didn't matter. He's gone. He's not actually, but his literary legacy was sullied because for years people were like, oh, he was a madman. He wrote all, he was a drug-addled fucked boy. Yeah, but that's like why people read his stuff now. Like that that idea of like, oh man, like what a banana crackers dude. That's like why people like him. Like every every weird Poe girly I have ever known aside from like present company was like had tattoos of him that were super morbid and were like, if I could fuck anyone alive or dead, number one would be Edgar Allan Poe. And I'm like, why? And they'd be like, in a coffin. And I'd be like, okay, well, I literally just asked if you wanted a beer. How do you know? And I'm like, oh, you were in Philadelphia. That that makes sense. That was here. Oh, God. (laughs) It's the 1800s. They didn't bathe back then. I don't want want any part of that. I'm just saying. I respect That's the vibe, and it has worked for him. Because I feel like if that hadn't come out, if everyone was like, oh, he was just like... A really a nice. He was guy. just a really nice guy, he just had a lot and of like bad he definitely happen. did not sleep with that fourteen-year-old that he married, and um, like he just had like a really unlucky life. People would be like, "What the fuck is the Raven? Is this a book about like ornithography? <laughs> I don't want to read that." Oh, <sighs> so uh, yeah, he does have. He has a legacy. Like you can. There are you can visit some of his houses that are available. They're now available as like historical museums, as Britta told you. you. Can visit in Baltimore, I believe he has a grave there that you can visit. Um, he's got I think some statues and stuff in Philadelphia. So he's got a there's few- like a statue of a raven outside that house on Spring Garden. So there's a lot of different things that you can visit slash do if you're like interested in in that and learning more about his life because go sit in an aggressively red room and listen to fall of the house of usher yeah yeah (laughs) but so he lived a pretty he lived a pretty sad life and he didn't live very long he was like 40 yeah he was very young he was 40 when he passed away, which is still longer than Lenore. Lenore was only like 24 when she passed away. Or not Lenore. Virginia. Virginia. Let's be honest. It is Lenore. But Good old Ginny. Yes. That's kind of an overview of his life. He didn't live very long, but he lived fast and died hard. <laughs> <laughs> he was rude hard and put away what? <laughs> People are going to listen to this. Live fast, die young, leave a horribly mangled corpse. They're going to be like, Bethan Bruder, are you okay? You okay? What is happening? If you skipped the first five minutes of this episode, you're like, wow, it's a vibe today. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I am a little nervous because I keep looking and I feel like I'm not talking as loud as you are. To be fair, I'm I'm yelling a lot. Um, you are normally quieter than I am. Okay, my microphone is on. I was just worried. Yeah, you are. 
You are usually the best person I know. Those are the answers that you sound like. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Totally. I'm on board with that. And then this one time when I was at Boys Camp, and I'm like, oh my God, how do I fix this? All right. So we do want to talk about his work today. I I have not read everything. A lot of his stuff, because because copyright was so <laughs> fucked back then, a lot of his stuff is not copyrighted. So you can literally go on Project Gutenberg, which for those of you who don't know, you should know. This is great for like all the things that are not copyrighted. You can read a lot of classic work on there um, for free and you can print it out and stuff for free. So it's a really, really nice thing to have. They have a ton of Edgar Allan Poe stuff on there. I'm trying to think of the other thing. They just have a ton of stuff. It's it's all older stuff, but they I mean, have a ton of stuff on there. I'm also fairly sure, certain that because he died over 100 years ago, like all his stuff is public domain now. Yeah. So, Which just makes me laugh because I, so I did get for Christmas actually uh, Edgar Allan Poe collection. Uh, one of my relatives bought me that and I was like, that's so sweet. And then I was like, also so on brand. I got, <laughs> it's like weird wonders of the world on like debunked and i was like oh okay and then the other thing i got was a nightmare before christmas cup and then a edgar Allan poe compendium and i was like yep on brand that's me in a nutshell all the things yeah (laughs) nice um but the ones i want to go over or talk about briefly are uh, the Black Cat and the Telltale Heart, which I think are, to me, are kind of the more, I would say, they're very short. I think they're the more well-known, especially the Telltale Heart. I remember the first the first version of the Telltale Heart I was introduced to was on Arthur, the PBS show, back in the late 90s. I think mine was the t- like the Tiny Toons. Oh, or yeah, yeah. Was it Tiny Toons or was it Animaniacs? I think it may be... Animaniacs, I think. I don't know why I said it in like the weird refurb version of the, the song. I guess I'll start while you're looking that up with talking about um, a lot of... Most of Edgar Allan Poe's work are short stories. The Arthur Pym is... I think one of his only longer novels, he does have The Gold Bug, which is, that's considered like one of the first detective or mystery stories. He also made for that book in particular, uh, like a decoder, um, (laughs) because those were very kind of getting popular at that point, where he made like a story about, and he put code in there, and you had to have like the code to read the secret message that he put in. Yeah, and then it was just be sure to drink your Ovaltine, <laughs> and you feel like you wasted all your box tops sending in for it. Um, it was both, both Tiny Toons and Animaniacs okay. episodes. I was thinking of Tiny Toons because it was Sweetie Bird is the Raven. Ah, okay, and I was, and even so, when we say he's had a lasting legacy, like even The Simpsons literally just did a version of the raven where homer is playing like the narrator of the raven and then bart is a anthropomorphized raven it's excellent would highly recommend watching that version of the raven it's like it's literally just homer quoting the raven and saying the poem short stories i'd like to talk about are the black cat and the telltale heart I've actually read these a lot with my writing group because 
if I don't get any submissions for my writing group, we read like kind of classic short stories to one, get a feel. How do other people write to like what works for this? What doesn't work for this? And something that I feel with Edgar Allan Poe is that he's very readable to this day. It's not written in a way where the language feels inaccessible or feels we know that language is fluid and that it changes over time. But something about, to me, something with Edgar Allan Poe's writing is it it still feels relevant, still feels very accessible. Like, I think of, like, Nathaniel Hawthorne and, like, having to read him for school. And I, I remember getting a bookmark of vocabulary words and, like, short definitions on the side from my teacher when we read, like, The Scarlet Letter. And so that, like we weren't constantly having to look up some of the like vocabulary, which that's nice that we got it. It's expanding my vocabulary, but at the same time, Edgar Allan Poe has interesting vocabulary in it, but not in a way that you're like, I don't know what this says. So for those of you who have not uh, read The Black Cat, it starts out with, for the most wild yet homely narrative, which I am about to pen, I neither expect nor solicit belief. Mad indeed would I be to expect it in a case where my very senses reject their own evidence. Yet mad I am not, and very surely do I not dream. This is literally about this guy who's like, let me tell you a story about how <laughs> he, is, um, he is plagued by this uh, like demon cat. He is living in a house with his wife. And this cat comes into their lives, and he goes to essentially murder this cat and get rid of it and he can't get rid of it it keeps coming back and haunting him and it does it so much that he destroys the basement and then in his madness of trying to kill the cat he ends up killing his wife and doesn't really feel bad about it like there's kind of not a lot of remorse for it because he's too busy trying to kill the cat it's just it's well written in a way where you're just like wait 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 what is happening and you want to continue with this short story you know i sorry i sorry for uh coworker scissor hands if he does happen to listen to this one i've spoiled this short story for you he doesn't read okay well it's all <laughs> of five pages so it's like you know like but read it for the language read it for uh all of his narrators, I think, in his short stories, it they're all written from the first person, so it feels right that people assume it's semi-autobiographical because when you read stuff from the first person and with I and stuff like that, you kind of become that you become that character like you're trying to get into their mindset like why are they thinking this? Why are they feeling this? So it is normal to question, like, what was the author doing slash thinking? What was he doing in his basement when he decided to write the black cat? Did he just see a cat? And I was like, ah, F that cat. I'm going to write a really weird story about it. But yeah, highly recommend it. They've made several movie variations of the black cat. The one I have seen was with uh, Harvey, Keitel, Harvey Keitel, um from the 80s. There's actually, it's like a... Um, it was a movie I watched with like three different short stories. Uh, I think Adrian Barbeau is also in one of them. She's in that, and then she's in Creep Show, which is also a compendium movie. And I get them mixed up because she 
she dies in both of them. Um, and all I know is like everyone, all the all the dudes love her because she's got great boobs in both of them. And but she's mean. She's so mean. <laughs> I don't think she's mean in real life. I just know she plays mean characters. I uh, I think. The Black Cat storyline is probably my favorite from Mike Flanagan's Follow the House of Usher, too. Well, that and then Cask of Amontillado, which is one of the other stories that I was going to bring up later. But I think those are, like, both very well done. Very modernized versions of them. Very modernized versions in a way where the I I knew we were going to bring up Mike Flanagan at some point. Um but it, yeah, in, in terms of other pop- popular culture, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's doing it again. Like he literally just had uh, his work used in the Netflix show *The Fall of the House of Usher*, which is not a bad show. I it's not my favorite Mike Flanagan show, but I did enjoy watching it. I it kept me going. Um, but each episode is kind of dedicated to. Uh, a short uh, one of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories. Yeah, the overarching story is House Fall of the House of Usher mm-hmm. and then there are these little through lines and easter eggs that are all references to other other Poe things. But I would say the Black Cat with Raul Cool is like it, yes, that one was very good. Very upsetting. Yeah. But very good. And then the other one I would like to talk about is the Telltale Heart, which uh, opening line of that is true, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous. I have been and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease has sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all the things in heaven and in earth. I have heard many things in hell. (laughs) Hell then, am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthy, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. So we're already starting from the jump. I'm not crazy. This is what's happening. And this is a story about a guy that's living with an old man. And he literally goes upstairs because the old man calls for him. And he looks the old man in the eye. And the old man has a really weird looking eye. And (laughs) it drives him to kill him. And then he buries the... (laughs) He buries him beneath like the floorboards, but he can hear like the heart, the heartbeat. He can hear it thump, thump, and it drives the uh, narrator crazy. This is like such a well done um, short story. Every I, I feel like this one is probably used the most in like movie TV references, even kids show references. Again, I first one i read was for or saw was arthur but it's just i mean it's a way of like talking about guilt right like and that's uh and through a lot of his stories i feel like especially when you have such dark subject matter of like murder and stuff like that like he's basically going through kind of like like i'm being driven mad by my own i would say a mission of guilt like i can hear I can hear this like noise because like I am thinking about the death I just caused, which I also felt like in the fall of the house of usher that actually that episode was my, that was to me the most heartbreaking one and upsetting, but it was good. 
that one to me was the most one of the most horrifying ones. But I um I really like those two. If you're gonna start with a short with short stories for him, definitely start with those. I'm sure in school, like we had to read Annabelle Lee, but I would also say read the poems with like Lenore and read the Raven. Like, of course. I don't think we read Annabelle Lee. We read Cast of Amontillado. Oh, gotcha. I also um, uh The Pit and the Pendulum. We read The Pit and the Pendulum in school. Yes. Which I enjoy. If you want to learn about the Crusades and a way to go, The Pit and the Pendulum is it. I think that one actually ends. That one ends okay. That's a short story that has a happy ending. Most of his short stories do not have happy endings. Um, I mean, I read some words with a mummy. Okay, I have never read that one. So uh, it's literally people talking to a mummy, <laughs> and it's like this mummy wakes up and is like, "Hey, I'm alive." And then this doctor is like mansplaining history to this mummy who like lived it. It's like I don't know. I it's maybe intentionally funny. I found it funny when maybe it shouldn't have been but like i'm trying to find the one thing that i just looked at i mean I, there's definitely parts in i think all of his stories that are very tongue-in-cheek like he does try to there is like some humor in all of his stories like in a telltale heart when he's describing when he's describing the old man and he's describing his eye and what uh He's describing it as his like evil eye. It was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night just at 12, I looked upon him while he slept. Like, you weirdo, why are you looking at him? <laughs> like, I don't like your eyeball. Like... He goes, I here asked the Count if his people were able to calculate eclipses. He smiled rather contemptuously and said they were. This put me a little out, but I began to make other inquiries in regard to his astronomical knowledge when a member of the company, who had never as yet opened his mouth, whispered in my ear that for information on this head I had better consult Ptolemy, whoever Ptolemy is, <laughs> as well as one Plutarch de Fasci Lune. He's like, shut up, man, I'm talking to the mummy. <laughs> Get off my nuts. Because, like, actually, if you just go on Reddit, you could read this thread about it. Um, <laughs> but the the Casca of Amontillado, I think, is probably my favorite. And that's because it is, like, straight up a revenge story. Oh, it is. And it's it's really short. Like, I feel like I could probably just read it, honestly. It literally starts as... <laughs> The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. What a great opening line. You who so well know the nature of my soul will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitively settled, but the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. <laughs> a wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. So it's essentially like you can't get revenge unless like the other person knows that you have like one upped them. 
which you know it's like i can't just like do this and have you not know that it was me cersei i want you to know it's me tell her game of thrones there you go like (laughs) i but i feel like the things we're describing like while yes they're dark i feel like they're in the dark recesses of everybody though right like don't tell me like we talk about uh work uh often especially for people we don't like uh the uh i'm gonna screw up the german word for it the schreudenfreude schadenfreude Schadenfreude, where if you don't know what that is that's essentially where somebody experiences like their comeuppance and it is your pleasure derived from watching them kind of get their comeuppance literal translation is happiness at the misfortune of others but it is not tied to revenge it is just like i saw someone fall down and it made me feel good that they fell down this like the point he's making is like it's not enough that you fall down you need to be at the bottom of a pit and you need to know that i pushed you and then i'm turning on the hose to watch you slowly drown right so but i feel like we've all not we all but like i feel like there's got to be some part in your brain just the little id most id part of your brain that's like I do not like that person. I wish I saw them. <laughs> I wish I had an axe to, you know, or let's bury them beneath the floorboards. Like, there's got to be, you know, and I'm not saying, like, maybe you have somebody that's an old guy with an evil eye that's driving you crazy. I'm not saying that. But, you know, I just, I, I just feel like he explores kind of the darkest id parts of your mind of, like, your deepest darkest basest desires and he's like how can i write about that that's so and and i feel like that's why that's why he still has edgar Allan poe girlies that are like i just love him because he's exploring you can explore the safe side of the macabre through his writing but i also do like the cask of (laughs) i just love because this guy sucks like fortunato sucks so bad he is like a piece of shit and he's just like, hey, I got this really great wine. And the guy's like, no, you don't. You can't possibly have that wine. That's like super expensive. What are you doing with it? And he's like, well, I have my doubts. Maybe you could like help me try it. And he's like, yeah, because you wouldn't know it if you tasted it. Okay, let's go. Let's check it out. And I love that he's like, it happens during like carnival season. So he's dressed up like a freaking like court jester and the narrator is like dogging how he's dressed <laughs> and then it's like um when he's like uh he accosted me with excessive warmth for he'd been drinking much the man wore motley he had on tight-fitting party striped dress and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells so it's like the jester bells mm-hmm. i was so pleased to see him that i thought i should never have done wringing his hand I said to him, my dear Fortunato, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you are looking today. But I have received a pipe of what passes for Amontillado, and I have my doubts. <laughs> How, said he, Amontillado, a pipe impossible, and in the middle of carnival? Like, fuck this guy. I'm glad he gets what's coming to him. And then the end is just essentially, like, a, a big ol' F you to Fortunato. <laughs> I also, like... I- there is like a bit of revenge too in like the mask of the red death and that to me is that's like uh straight up class warfare yeah. which is as a person living through 
a pandemic and being one of the have-nots instead of the haves. Like, if you want to read something that is not going to make you feel great, but it's going to make you feel... uh, Understand. You'll be like, yep, understand where that person came from. way that we could equate that feeling, like, in modern times is if, like, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk... J.K. Rowling, since we already mentioned her once in this, Donald Trump and his whole family all got on like a spaceship to escape the planet and then it just fucking exploded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about the same. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, haha, you poor people are going to die on the planet that we ruined. Um,. Yeah, so for The Mask of the Red Death, if you guys don't know, that's literally about a rich, uh, like, prince-type person partying with a bunch of people while there's, like, a literal plague called the Red Death happening outside, and they they are, like, just partying it up, like, yucking it up, and then one of the party-goers is actually a poor person who has the Red Death, and the Red Death is pretty extremely contagious and pretty immediate in terms of like uh, <laughs> like it, you catch it you catch it and they essentially spread red death and ruin inside this rich people's like castle while all the poor people outside are like dying um and it's like yeah good for good for him and then yeah of course you should definitely probably read the fall of the house of usher there's been a lot of cool remakes going on um not remakes, but kind of tributes to uh, Edgar Allan Poe. One I'm thinking of right now is called What Moves the Dead uh, by T.A. Kingfisher. So if you haven't read that, explore that. That is essentially, it is the fall of the House of Usher, but it's written from a different perspective. And I really enjoyed that one. And yeah, if you haven't read the fall of the House of Usher, give that a whirl. There's a lot of different ones that I feel like we could mention, but I feel like it would take too long to go through. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I just feel like people sleep on Edgar Allan Poe a little bit. Or they dismiss him because he's not edgy compared to, like, stuff today. But he has a lasting legacy. So, you should appreciate him and wish him a happy birthday. <laughs> go do some opium in his honor. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> um... I don't Go get drunk say- and fight a raccoon in his honor. <laughs> and then write some mopey poetry. Yeah. Actually, Go, that's, um, that's- get drunk, fight a raccoon, and then log into your old MySpace account and like look at what you wrote about your crush. Or log into your live journal <laughs> yeah. if you still have that and see what you wrote. Man, I did that a couple years ago because I got a email that said hey you're having an anniversary and i said oh my god this is still around i thought it died i didn't even know live journal was a thing and then i found it and i went man i hate that i wrote live journal to be angsty and in my feelings but i don't know what the context was to any of this anymore yeah because you had to like vague book because all your friends read it yes i don't think i like wrote like anything real in it i think i just wrote like dumb joke shit because I was like, I can't let anyone know anything that's real. Oh, I wrote real feelings, but oh, I no. did not write enough. It was so vague that now I'm like, huh, what was that about? 
about? To be fair, like also when you're like 13 or 12, it's just like, dear diary, everything sucks. I don't understand the purpose of life. Okay, talk to you tomorrow. (laughs) So yeah. Uh, get out your angsty journals, um, drink a glass of wine, and write some terrible poetry, all, you know, in honor of him. Maybe you'll write some good poetry out of it, I don't know. Get revenge on your enemy. (laughs) But make sure they know it was you. But also don't tell them that you were inspired by the Lake Erie Library, because I don't want to be arrested sued or i'm not responsible for your actions (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna listen to me the idiot that like probably gave herself permanent arm damage (laughs) okay (laughs) sounds like you're really smart so yes uh thank you Edgar Allan poe for making a lasting impact on little beth uh from like middle school onward i appreciate that and that's why we pay tribute to you and uh yeah i think that that settles a good i mean we gave you enough to chew on for i think a while with edgar Allan poe so if there's any stories you want to share with us about him that you know maybe he maybe you're maybe you are an edgar Allan poe girly and you got a weird arm tattoo that we don't know about that you really want to show us i guess you can comment and let us know (laughs) or send us a dm of your arm that's weird though yeah don't send us a dm of that because out of context it's probably gonna look like something else it's true it's true you know happy january i hope your new year is going better than our slightly less rough and uh yeah i hope you enjoy listening about the life of edgar Allan poe and i hope maybe that inspires you to read some of his short stories or his poetry and you know jump off from there or it inspires you to listen to mc lars or watch the fall of the house of usher or you know uh watch the murder mystery (laughs) party and yeah, just enjoy his kind of life and impact he's had on other on other media. Yeah, we gotta wrap this up because I got this barrel of wine that I need you to come help me with. Oh, it's okay. In my trunk. Um, ignore all of the bricks and cement that are in there. Don't pay attention to that. But we gotta go right now. Okay. All right. So thank you to our spooky sponsor, and as always, you guys can catch us on social media. But I will also say, stay spooky, friends. <laughs> <laughs>